The main point of this passage is this. A true disciple leaves everything to gladly follow Jesus. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's a privilege to be with you this morning, be able to worship. Thank you, worship team. Now we want to continue worshiping the Lord through hearing His Word and studying His Word. We'll be in Luke chapter 14 this morning, verse 25 to 35. Well, I know many of us are excited about the Winter Olympics that are going on in Beijing. Uh, our family got to watch some of the opening ceremony this week, and we're excited to see all the, the winter sports I was uh, interested in uh, a story related to the Olympics, and it was about freestyle skier Eileen Gu, Gu Eileen. She was born in America. One parent was American, one parent Chinese. Um, and recently, she's changed her affiliation from American and competing as an American to Chinese, to competing for China in competitions. You've probably seen her around the city on different ads. Her face with her skis are all over the place. Um, and she's been in the news because of this change of allegiance. Now, this change of allegiance going from officially competing as an American to officially competing um, as, uh, for China in competitions has been in the news. And it's interesting because for China to have a, uh, from what I understand, to have a Chinese passport and to be a citizen, there's not dual citizens. You cannot have dual citizenship. So for her to, to be, uh, compete, as, uh, compete for China, she has to renounce her American citizenship. And this is very interesting for us today because, and I bring this up because it relates to our passage. In the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus tells the crowd around him that they must renounce everything, including their family ties, in order to truly be a disciple of Jesus. So in a similar way that Eileen renounced her American citizenship to now compete for China, the, the disciples of Jesus are called to renounce their former ties, their ties to their family, and to renounce everything in order to follow Jesus. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. Previous to this passage in chapter 14, we saw that Jesus was at a banquet feast. He was there with some religious leaders on the Sabbath. And there was a man there who needed to be healed. He healed this man on the Sabbath, which the religious leaders believed to be wrong. And after doing this, Jesus told some stories or parables to illustrate that the new kingdom, the kingdom of God that He's bringing comes with it a new and better culture that's new and better than any culture that we could, anyone could have on earth. And how the religious leaders, and in fact all of us, need to abandon our old culture, our home culture, 
and embrace the culture of God's kingdom. That we would be known as those who are from the kingdom of God, not from our Western culture or our Eastern culture. Jesus continues this theme as, he, as He's walking now toward Jerusalem. It says in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied Him, and He turned and said to them. So we see that He's going along. He's being accompanied by these crowds. And these crowds include people who are His true disciples, those who are following Him and believe Him. It also includes some who are there for the entertainment or because they're curious about what He's saying, but they have not believed yet. And in the crowd, there are also those who oppose Jesus. There are people who want Him to trip up. They want to find a reason to accuse Him of being wrong. So with this in mind, thinking of this large crowd, let's read the passage for this morning and then discuss it. Follow along as I read Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied Him, and He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and, it is, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears... To hear, let him hear. The main point of this passage is this. A true disciple leaves everything to gladly follow Jesus. So this morning we'll look at four truths from this passage. Four things that we see from this passage about following Jesus. The first one that we see in verse 26 is following Jesus means giving up everything. Let's look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus tells the crowds as they're coming around him that it's not enough just to hang out around him. But there are some requirements to being a true follower. And that first one that he has, that he says here, is to hate father and mother, to hate wife or husband, children and brothers and sisters. Now, I thought that Jesus came with a message of love for everyone. So how does He say here to hate their families? 
Is he really saying that they should hate their families? And not only that, he adds that they should hate their own lives as well. This statement is shocking to us. This would have been shocking to them as well. It would have been difficult for them to take this and to hear this. The culture of the time when Jesus was speaking was very highly valued. They highly valued the family. The family was very important to them. With their family, they gained identity, who they were. They also gained a future. A family meant security and welfare and status in the community. Those who didn't have a family were vulnerable. They were socially outcast. They were shamed and they were impoverished. They did not have hope without their family to help them and to support them, and to give them identity of who they were. So this statement of Jesus that says to hate their family cuts directly to their core. They were committed to their family. They couldn't imagine leaving their family behind, but Jesus says they should hate them. So what does he mean by hate? Well, we want to look closer at the word hate. And the only place that Luke uses this particular Greek word that we translate as hate is in this passage. But we do see the word show up in a few other books of the New Testament. It comes up several times in the book of John. For instance, John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. We see this particular word also in Romans chapter 9, which quotes the Old Testament saying, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And we see from other places in the New Testament that this word is used as a comparative type of hate. There are two sides presented. One is loved and the other is hated. Like in the verse from John chapter 3, the wicked love the darkness and hate the light. The darkness is chosen over and against the light. Now notice at the end of the sentence in verse 26, it says, he cannot be my disciple. So this is, a, this is someone who does not hate his family, cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Here's the comparison. The two sides here are being a disciple of Jesus and one's family ties. So Jesus is not saying that they should be mean to their family. They should not go to their family and say, I hate you. They would not wish harm on their family. But he's saying there is a crossroads here. There is a decision to be made. They must love one, and thereby loving that one, they hate the other. It is a choosing of going one way or the other. Who will they align with? With Jesus or with their family? Who will they seek to obey and please? Jesus or their family? This is the message for them. It's not wishing ill on their family but it's a decision, it's a crossroads of taking one or the other. When I think about what it means to the idea of, of hating the family here and hating themselves, I think of a movie I saw of a, an old ship with sails, uh, a huge, large ship, and it was in a storm. And during the storm, the top of the mast was broken and fell into the sea. It still had lots of wood and sails attached to it, and it was still attached to the boat with ropes. 
there was many ropes who were, they were attaching this wreckage to the boat. And in the middle of the storm, the wreckage is pulling the boat over. The boat cannot stay upright. It's going to capsize. It's going to tip over if this wreckage continues to be connected. And so in the movie, they have to go and actually chop the, the ropes one by one by hitting the deck with an axe, cutting the ropes, cutting loose the ship so that it can be, be right side up. It's not tipped over. That's the idea that I picture here of this, this move and the thinking about family and even ourselves is cutting those ties. So to be a disciple of Jesus means to leave behind everything else, including our family ties, our connection, and our desire to please and to obey our family in order that we take on the desire to please and obey Jesus. So to be a true disciple of Jesus means leaving behind everything else, including our family ties. Now Jesus says not only to hate, that they should hate their family, but verse 26 says, yes, even his own life. So leaving everything behind means leaving behind life as they know it as well. This echoes what Jesus said before in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So what does it mean for us to hate, in obedience to this verse, to hate our family and our own lives in the way that Jesus is commanding us here? Well, first, this does not mean that we go to our family and we say that we hate them. We do not say that. That's not where it begins. This is a, this is a heart change with us and the Lord it should change our behavior, but we do not go to family and say that we hate them. And this hate also is not a desire that, they would, that harm would come to them, that they would be hurt. No, the Bible commands us in the Ten Commandments to honor our father and mother. The Bible says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible says that wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The Bible says that fathers should not provoke their children to anger. They should love them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the Bible says that we should love our family. But this is saying we leave behind our parents and spouse and kids and siblings as a source of security, as a source of identity, of who we are, a source of power, and especially as a source of salvation. Our parents, our spouse, our kids cannot and will not save us. They will not satisfy us in the way our soul wants to be satisfied. And we don't just lay these things aside, we lay them aside for the new life as a disciple of Jesus. So we love family, 
but we love them with the love that comes from God. We love God first and foremost, completely loving Him as Lord of our life. And with the love He gives us, then we love our family. Follow what He says in loving our family. Because we cannot love our parents or our spouse or our kids best if they are first in our life. We can only love them best when God is first. We love our parents best when we love God first. Husbands, you love your wife best when you love God first. Wives, you love your husband best when you love God first. Parents, you love your kids best when they are not first, but God is in your heart and in your life. The Bible says we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is giving everything to love for Him. So what does this look like practically? How do we actually live this out? How do we choose God over and above our family and ourselves? This might look like remaining faithful to God, even if our parents are opposed to us being Christian. Not all parents are supportive of our decision to follow Christ. But that gives us an opportunity to choose. Who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to please? God, who we understand to be the one who has salvation for us, or do we listen to our parents? Another way that we live this out, that this shows up who our first love is, is what we do with Sunday, the Lord's Day. How do we... How do we spend our time on Sunday? We should be committed to coming to church on Sunday morning. But we should also be committed to spending the Lord's day as the Lord's day, not the Lord's couple of hours in the morning. The Lord's day is not another Saturday for us to spend as we want, except maybe Sunday morning. As believers and members of our church, We should be committed to spending the Lord's Day for Him. This looks like morning service and attending evening prayer service, participating in home group, spending time to fellowship with other believers on Sunday, reaching out to visitors, being part of members' meetings when we have them. When we commit to Sunday being the Lord's Day, it might mean we have to move recreational activities, or maybe dinner with family or friends to a different day, especially if it interferes with our church family time together. But a commitment to the Lord and being His disciple looks like making sure the Lord's day is the Lord's day, and it looks like that. Another way that we choose the Lord, that we follow Him as a true disciple, and we lay down, we give up, we give up everything, is the way we use our money as well. Do you give to the church as an offering to the Lord? Are we quick to spend money on ourselves? It's easy to buy a drink or some clothes, but it's very difficult 
to give to the Lord. Maybe, maybe we're slow to give Him things, but quick to buy things for ourselves. Our job is another way that we can choose the Lord over and above family and ourselves. So obeying this passage looks like making sure our work does not have a higher priority than our relationship with the Lord and following Him. That might mean we give up on some earning potential. We might pass on that promotion. We might have to look for a different job. But we should consider obeying this passage related to our job, making sure that it does not have a higher priority than our relationship with the Lord. Also, parents, if you're a parent, you have to choose to serve God over and above serving. We have to choose to serve God over and above serving our kids. We want the best for our kids. We want to love them well. But the best way that we can parent them is that we love Jesus more, that He is first in our life. Now, for all these things, it seems like a difficult task. So we must seek God's help to obey Him in this way. We don't want a set of rules, but we want to know and believe the person of Jesus. We follow Jesus, not follow a bunch of rules. So we don't want to set up rules for ourselves. We want to consider our life in light of this verse and make sure that we're following Jesus first, that we're giving up everything in order to follow Him. If you're unsure how to start this, or maybe you're struggling to understand how to work this out in your life, feel free to talk to me or to Luke. We're available and we are eager to help you work through this because we also are working through it ourselves. Now we see from this passage that following Jesus means giving up everything, including family ties. Now let's continue to look at the passage to see more truths about following Jesus. The second one, point number two, following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. Verse 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now notice the verse 26 and 27 have the same form. There's some key phrases in both verses. 26, it says that whoever does not hate, and then at the end it says, cannot be my disciple. And here in 27, we see similar language. It said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. And then we see again, cannot be my disciple. So we see two times the same form. Here, Jesus is saying that a true disciple must bear his own cross. Now, when we hear the word cross, we think about jewelry or a cross tattoo, which are cool decorations for our body. But Jesus' audience here would not have understood it in that way. They hear cross as an instrument of execution, a beam of wood that was used by the government to kill people. In their minds, as they're listening to Jesus, the only people that carried a cross were criminals, enemies of the government, people who had done very bad things. 
But Jesus says cross here because he knows where he's going. We see in Luke 9.51, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's going to the place where he knows he will actually carry a cross and he will go to die. And he's calling his disciples to follow him on a difficult task carrying this heavy load. Now, verse 26, we talked about in point one, we talked about leaving everything behind, laying down the old, putting away the old allegiance, the old connections, the old self. And here in 27, Jesus is telling his followers, those following him, that it's not just laying things down, laying everything down, but it's now picking up the new self, the new life of a disciple. And this new life is one of carrying a cross and following Jesus. This makes me think of the line in the hymn, The Wonderful Cross. It says, Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may live, that I may truly live. This statement by Jesus is an invitation to his followers to come and die to their sin, laying down the old self, dying to their sin and to themselves, and find that they truly live. Similarly, in Ephesians 4, it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So this bearing of the cross and following Jesus is putting on the new self. It's changing allegiance. Just like Eileen changed allegiance from America to China, we change allegiance from our old self, from our identity in our family, from our family ties, and we put on the new self, the new allegiance that is a disciple of Jesus. And that looks like bearing a cross. But what might it look like for us to to bear a cross and to follow Jesus? The bearing of the cross points to and, and means being willing to suffer. Being willing to suffer difficulty and pain and inconvenience for the sake of Christ. Bearing the cross is being willing to suffer difficulty pain, inconvenience, for the sake of Jesus. We understand this more by looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter writes, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So bearing the cross is sharing in Christ's sufferings. And we do that when we suffer in some way that's related to our life as a Christian. It may not be direct persecution because we're a believer, but in whatever way it is that we suffer, when we trust God, we share in His sufferings. So consider a story. A friend of mine from, that I met in Shanghai 
He went to school to get an engineering degree. He hears the gospel at college and believes. And he has a burden then to share Jesus with others on his campus. He gets involved in campus ministry as a student. And then after he graduates, he continues reaching out on college campuses. He gives up opportunity to work as an engineer, much to his parents' disapproval. He goes on to graduate school, but not in engineering. He goes to seminary, receives training to become a pastor. Then he goes on to pastor an underground house church, living on a small salary, supporting his family in that way. He bears the cross by giving up on the engineering degree and engineering career. Think about the money that he could have made if he had stuck with engineering. He bears a cross by following God's direction on his life to reach out to college students and go against his parents' wishes. Think about the pain that he must have suffered in disappointing his parents. Even if he knew it was the right thing, it would still be painful to see his parents' disapproval. He bears the cross as well as he shepherds a flock of people under the threat of government persecution. Imagine the stress of leading a church in that way. There's loss, there's pain, there's stress. All the weight of bearing the cross of a true disciple of Jesus. Now our situation is probably different from this friend that I mentioned. But regardless, we all face difficulty and suffering, and we do that for being a Christian. Following Jesus is not easy. Sometimes we want to take the easy way out. But for a true disciple, we don't take the easy way. We bear the cross that God has called us to bear. Now this might look like for some, remaining single and celibate instead of dating and marrying an unbeliever. For some, bearing the cross might be remaining single and celibate instead of indulging in same-sex relationships. For some, bearing the cross is raising kids to know and love the Lord, even if their friends and classmates are not doing the same thing. For all of us, bearing our cross is at some point losing out on fun and excitement, giving up on the efficiency that we would like to see in relationships and in this world. Many of us have to give up on earning potential. We could make so much more if we were not following what Jesus calls us to do. But in some way, we're all called to bear the cross. Now, some of these things might seem too difficult. Before we go on, you might be saying, how could I ever do this? Well, the point here is that following Jesus is not easy. But we can be encouraged, brothers and sisters, because we are not left to ourselves to carry this cross on our own. We do this with God's power in us. His power is what enables us to carry the burdens, to suffer and to go through uncomfortable situations, to take on these burdens for His sake. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul is speaking about his proclaiming of Christ to others. And he says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. 
struggling with all His energy. This is Christ's energy that He powerfully works within me. God is the one who's working powerfully through Paul to share the gospel. And God is the one who works powerfully through us to bear the cross and to obey Him. So if it looks impossible, it is impossible for us to do on our own. We depend on the power and the energy that comes from God. All right, so we know and we see that following Jesus is not easy, but is it worth it? That brings us to point number three. Following Jesus is worth the cost. Following Jesus is worth the cost. Let's look at verse 28 to 33. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So here Jesus gives two illustrations related to his point. The first one in verse 28 to 30 is a story of a man who's going to build a tower. Jesus says the wise thing is for this man to sit down and count the cost. How much will this tower cost me to build? Because how shameful it would be if he started building and was not able to finish. People would laugh at him. This illustration makes me think of the people in Shanghai who have purchased expensive sports cars, but they cannot get a license plate. They have this amazing machine sitting in a garage collecting dust because they're not able to secure a small piece of metal that allows them to drive on the road. We chuckle and laugh at their situation, but that's what would happen in this situation with the man building the tower. In a similar way, that would be embarrassing and shameful. The second illustration is of a king who's facing, uh, facing war with another king. Jesus says it's wise for him to sit down and figure out, can I win this war? What are my chances of victory here? And if they're too low, if the chances are too low that he could win, then the next best thing is to send a delegation to ask for peace. But we know he'll have to give up something in order to get peace. In both of these illustrations, Jesus is pointing to the importance of counting the cost. What will this cost me? A potential disciple should act like the tower builder or the king, considering and counting the cost of following Jesus. And we know that following Jesus requires giving up everything. We saw that in point one. And we saw that following Jesus is not easy. And now he's telling his audience to count the cost of what it will take to follow. Jesus summarizes in verse 33 what it costs. Therefore, anyone 
of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we see the cost. It costs everything. Now, if I came up to you and said, will you pay 100 kwai? You might say, for what? What am I getting with my 100 kwai? Well, that's a logical a logical, answer, a logical question, logical response to say, I might be willing to, but I need to know what I'm getting. What does this get me? What does this cost award me? What, what do I get for that? So the, the same thing here. We see the cost, but is it worth it? I think to answer this, we should look back briefly at what Jesus has said in the book of Luke. Luke 4 Jesus announces himself as the Messiah, the Christ who God had promised to come and save his people. Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, and we see it captured in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We must be reminded that when Jesus says this, we are the poor, we are the captives, we are the blind and the oppressed. We are the ones who need a Savior. Again, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We are all sinners, and we need to be called to repentance. So following Jesus is worth the cost, because we, what we get is salvation and the satisfaction that can only be found in Him. He's worth following because He sets us free. He sets us free from the curse of sin and death. The burden of the cross that we carry, that we must bear, is light compared to the curse that we have because of our sin. He sets us free from that curse. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul lists out his qualifications as a model Jew and follower of God's law. He follows the Old Testament almost to perfection. But then he says this in Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says that he counts everything as loss. He has suffered the loss of all things. He's done what we talked about in point number one. He's given up everything. What Jesus says in verse 33, he's renounced all that he has. And he says, even those things he gave up are rubbish compared to what it is to know Christ Jesus, his Lord. 
That's what we look at as being, that's why it's worth it to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is worth it because everything else is rubbish. All these things that we give up, that we think are valuable, are rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning listening, I urge you to begin following Jesus today. He is worth it. Think about it. We will give up all these things we hold on to. At some point, we will give them up. When we die, we give them up. But if you die giving those things up and never believed in Jesus, then you not only lose those things, you lose yourself forever. The Bible says that when we, if we die without believing in Jesus as our Savior, we spend eternity in torment. So friend, give up your life now to believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and follow Him as a true disciple and enter into the re- reward of knowing Christ. For those of us who are Christians, we should consider this point as well. Commit again to following Jesus fully. Be reminded of what the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus is. Now, many of us at times struggle to feel this surpassing worth. Sometimes it feels flat. We need to be reminded that knowing Christ comes by spending time in His Word. I quoted from Philippians chapter 3 earlier. I recommend reading the book of Philippians. It's a great place to start, to rekindle the awe and the, the, the weight of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. As you read Philippians, ask God to make Himself known to you, that you might return to the joy of your salvation. As you do that also, don't forget to share with a brother or a sister about your time with the Lord. It's mutually encouraging to share how God is working in us. Now, our last point for this morning, point number four. Following Jesus is not for everyone. Following Jesus is not for everyone. Verse 34 and 35. It says, Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here we see the image of salt. Salt was used at this time to keep food from spoiling and to help crops grow. We see there it says that The salt that's not salty is not good for the soil or the manure pile. Salt was used to make sure the soil had the right chemistry to produce crops and produce them well. But a lot of times the salt in in Jesus' time had impurities mixed in with the salt. So it was possible for the actual salt to dissolve away, and what was left looked like salt, but it was all impurities. It wouldn't do anything that salt would actually do. It couldn't cure meat, and it had no no way to help the fields and the plants grow. It was actually useless. 
Jesus is saying that in a similar way, a person that hangs around him in this crowd, but has not put his faith in Jesus, is not a true disciple. They're not a true follower. It's possible for someone to listen to Jesus and even to nod their head in agreement, but not be a true follower. And it's still possible in our day and age. You can come to church and you can nod your head at the sermon and sing the songs, but if you not put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you are not a true disciple of Him. The Bible says that we must be born again. We must repent of our sin, turning from our sin and believing in Jesus, accepting God's free gift of salvation by His grace. That is how we start as a true disciple of Jesus. This section tells us that there will be some who are saltless salt. There will be some who are around Jesus, maybe know things about the Bible, but are not true disciples. That's why Jesus says at the end, He who has ears, let him hear. There will be some who don't hear. Luke uses this same phrase in chapter 8, verse 8, where Jesus was talking about different types of soil. He talked about the rocky soil and the soil with weeds as people who had some interest in the gospel, but ultimately they did not bear fruit. They were not true believers. And we see a similarity to this passage in that unsalty people, these people who are, are not really salt, they were part of the crowd around Jesus, but they had not committed to renounce everything for the sake of following Him. So for us today, we should examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. When we, are, when we die or when Jesus returns, we do want, not want to be found to be saltless, a powder that's meant and fit to be thrown away. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus, true disciples. When we examine ourselves, we think about, have I trusted in Jesus as my Savior? Can I see evidence of a changed life? Do others see evidence of a changed life, a new life? It does not mean that a true disciple must be perfect. We will not be perfect until Christ returns. But we should be able to see evidence of a change when we're convicted of our remaining sin. We have a desire to study God's Word so that we can know Him more. And we're motivated to commit to God's people through membership in a local church. These are some ways that we can see God at work as evidence of a changed life. So friends, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? And also, we, we do know and should be reminded there, that there are those who do not have ears to hear. We should take this into account when we share the gospel with others, when we think about who to share with. It's not our duty to know and to determine who will believe. We leave that up to the Lord. He knows who will believe. Our duty is to share and to share with joy the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners. And we want to share that with anyone and everyone. Now, as we conclude, 
In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. After that, we'll sing the song, Knowing You. If you would, turn to page 12 of your bulletin and look at the lyrics there with me. It says, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this. We see the comparison we saw at the very beginning. And it's compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You are my all, you are the best, you are my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. And then look at verse 3. Oh, to know the power of your risen life, and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord, so with you to live and never die, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You are my all, you are the best, you are my joy, my righteousness, and I love you. Let's think about those words and consider those words as we sing later, that we might live them out, that we might know the Lord in His suffering and know that He is worth it. And it's worth it because we get to know Him. Let's pray. God, we love You as our Lord. You are our righteousness. Help us, God, to know You and to follow You as true disciples. We pray for all those who are here this morning who do not know You. We pray that You would soften their hearts, convict them of their sin, open their eyes to their need for Jesus as a Savior. Help us, Lord, to give up the ties that keep us from following You fully and completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.